0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Critically, a DD and d Discussion, a podcast where we take a single word or topic and discuss what it means within the D&D 5e and wider TTRPG framework. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest to dissect a different topic. And today, I'm joined by Michael Wu, aka DM Mycicle. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Michael. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So, I started playing D&D around four years ago, and around my after my second or third session, I felt like I wanted to try DMing, so I kind of jumped into the deep end there, but I think it all worked out in the end there, so it certainly helped me to learn a lot. So in terms of my day job, I am an app developer, so I actually made a DD and d app called Game Master's Toolkit 5e, and it actually hit 10,000 downloads a few weeks ago, so definitely pretty exciting Amazing. there. yeah. I also like to make various props for D&D, so um, like D20 keychains and potions of healing and that kind of stuff, and I also like to make puzzles a lot, which is why I'm excited to be talking about puzzles today. So a lot of different things that I like to do for D&D. Amazing, got a lot of uh, spinning plates at the moment, which is which is great, yeah. keeps you busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly, it's, it's kind of hard to um, keep all the projects going at once, but yeah. I mean, I am struggle to keep this one project podcast going. <laughs> so yeah, you are already
0: much better than me in my book. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, on that uh, note you mentioned there, today's topic is puzzles. So what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, so in terms of D&D puzzles, they are basically games or different kinds of challenges that require the players to think, you know, or use logic. So these are challenges for the players, but not their characters. So, like, if you mm-hmm. think about combat, in contrast, that's a challenge for their character. So, you know, their AC, their hit points, you know, their ability to do damage. But when you think about puzzles, it's really more about the player themselves. So, this this might sound obvious, but puzzles are meant to be fun for the players. They're meant to be fun challenges. Mm-hmm. So, they're not meant to just be a show of your ability to trick or confuse the players. And kind of similarly to how you can just throw some insanely tough combat that the players have no chance of of ever defeating, you could also throw them some ridiculously insanely difficult puzzle that they would have no chance of being able to solve. So in both instances, you kind of have to balance things with their abilities, either I guess their characters or their, you know, the players themselves. And you have to find that good balance between, you know, difficulty and actually being able to come out ahead and being able Mm -hmm. to solve it. So, you know, kind of uh, two examples of different game designs, but yeah, make sure to obviously have it balanced so that you're not just, you know, throwing something that they have no chance of solving. So on that note, let's dive into like the really gritty,
0: deep part of this topic then. So you mentioned there that obviously puzzles test the players less than they test their characters oh let's say i wouldn't say it's binary i would say it's like you know 90 10 and combat is you know the other way around Mm -hmm. in that the players still have to kind of think tactically to a certain extent right but do you think there's a little bit of i mean you have to metagame to a certain extent by that definition if it's the players trying to solve something in essence it's like required metagaming Would you agree or disagree
1: with that statement? Yeah, no, it definitely is because... You know your character. You know based on maybe what class you choose, intelligence might be a good stat for you, or it might be not a good stat for you, and that may or may not be aligned with your personal strengths or weaknesses. So mm-hmm. there definitely is a lot of metagaming, and um, you know some people actually you know feel like it takes them out of the realism when you know a low intelligence character is the best puzzle solver because the player happens to be a good puzzle solver, or you know vice versa. Yeah. So, there definitely is a lot of metagaming that happens in there, but, you know, I think there are some ways to to kind of combat that and kind of roleplay that in an interesting way. So, like, for example, even if you're a low intelligence character, you might, you know, quote-unquote stumble upon the correct solution without, you know, fully necessarily understanding what it means or how you got there. Or alternatively, you could possibly, you know, give some high intelligence character some extra hints. To make them feel more useful or, you know, to make their choices more meaningful in terms of character creation so that they feel like, you know, they're useful not just in combat, but also out of combat, you know, even Mm -hmm. though they chose a stat that, you know, isn't always charisma where it's super useful out of combat, for example. Yeah, I think there's nothing
0: worse than a player building, you know, a highly intelligent character character. And then getting to the point of like, ah, here's my time to shine. This is, this is my wheelhouse. Oh, I've done poorly. And <laughs> yeah. I can't even excel at the thing I've built my character to do. Yeah. And then the barbarian figures out how to solve the puzzle or something like that. So how, how would you, seeing as we're talking about that particular hypo- hypothetical situation, how would you then resolve that so say and i believe i've talked about this before on the podcast but let's let's get the experts opinion to mm-hmm. so say like you've got a pretty run-of-the-mill puzzle it's a an anagram or some basic mm-hmm. arithmetic for example and the setup is the players haven't just immediately solved it maybe the the, the wizard needs a hint so we said can i look around and see what kind of hints i can get from the architecture whatever it is he rolls poorly no hints sorry whoops the barbarian does the same rolls exceptionally high Mm -hmm. basically gets given you know the answer on a plate almost and then he has to put a and b together how would you how do you kind of narrate that how would you play that out at the table
1: yeah so um again one thing you can do is you know narrate that the barbarian kind of kind of stumbles upon the answer so Maybe they, you know, knock something over and then one of the pieces falls into place. Um, but there, something Matt Colville mentioned is that in terms of skills, sometimes you can require them to be proficient in them. So, it's not just everybody trying mm-hmm. to roll. So, you know, if you're worried about, you know, the barbarian asking for hints and then rolling really well randomly as opposed to the wizard, for example, you might say, you know, look barbarians aren't good at investigation, you know, wizards might be proficient in it. Maybe you have to be proficient in investigation in order to roll for a hint. So, that is one option if you're worried about it. But, you know, in general, I think you can find creative ways to roleplay people stumbling upon the answers or, or noticing something, you know, again, without them necessarily having to have the intelligence to kind of understand what's happening behind the scenes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that method before of, you know, only allowing characters to roll in skills they're proficient in. I mean, for me, I don't really like that too much because I'm bad at mental arithmetic, but it doesn't stop me attempting like a Sudoku puzzle, for example. Like I can still at least try. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I guess that changes, that kind of fundamentally changes the definition of what you're doing when you try a skill check. Because, you know, even a commoner can try to decipher a puzzle. But they don't have any proficiencies. So that kind of, yeah, fundamentally changes what it is when you get players to roll a skill check, I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is different. So um, yeah, it's not something you have to do in every situation or yeah, even do it all, like you said, if, if you're not into it. But mm. just, yeah, just one option if you wanted. Mm-hmm. So before we started recording,
0: I was trying to, when I was looking at my notes and stuff, I was thinking, have I actually done any mm-hmm. puzzles in my campaign? And I honestly don't think I have and i don't want to get too like introspective right now for everybody because it's hella boring but i was trying to you know i was thinking like why is that there must be a reason why and if i think too hard about it i think the answer is because maybe i'm scared Mm. (laughs) of trying to do one that's that's you know enjoyable and effective i think it's slightly it's slightly easier to muddle through combat as a dm yeah to like brush over your mistakes oh it's too hard let me dynamically adjust the difficulty it's fine now move on move on or wasn't that exciting but hey they're not gonna have that combat again doesn't matter I, you know learn from my mistakes yeah but say you've got a really critical puzzle that is you know maybe prohibiting their movement forward in a dungeon that's a lot of you know responsibility on on the dm to it this is this is a pretty big moment let's make sure that it's rewarding I think
1: that's probably why I've not done any (laughs) up until well today yeah so I think um yeah there's a couple things you can do in terms of you know trying to mitigate that risk like you said so uh, you know like you said it's it's always a risk if a puzzle is crucial for the plot or for them to advance somehow so One thing that I like to do is I like to kind of make puzzles extra credit where, you know, if they were to solve it, there's some kind of reward or gain that they can have. But if they Mm -hmm. don't solve it or they don't want to spend all that time trying to solve it, then, you know, they don't have to. And it's totally fine and it's not necessary for the plot. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of uh, integrate it without it trying to, you know, completely derail your campaign if they're not able to solve it.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's probably the uh, the safer... Especially for like DMs like myself who are trying to dip their toes into puzzle design, yeah. it's, it's probably safer for the first few until you get to grips with them to make them optional. Essentially, to be like, here's you know the path straight ahead, but if you want to head off to the right for a bit, you know solve this riddle or whatever it may be. And if it sucks, oh well. Mm-hmm. As the DM, you can always pick up and repurpose the item or the treat that was behind it somewhere else, and then none the wiser. So yeah, there's no loss there really. It's a, good, it's a good solution. It's a good solution. So to loop back around to what we were talking about earlier on about you were saying that it's, it's this split between character knowledge and player knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, obviously puzzles test the players. So do you have any tips or advice for how to bridge that gap between player and PC knowledge, which isn't unique to puzzles? This problem isn't unique to puzzles. This is, you know, generic to D&D, like the, the classic example is you might not play for a month. But in mm. game, it's only been two minutes for your characters, and obviously mm-hmm. human people f- are forgetful and forget things and whatnot. So how do you deal? You know, your character has a lot more knowledge than your player does. You've just come, you know, just finished work, and it's been four weeks since you've last played, and it's like, where the heck are we again? Yeah, uh, and that's that's like the easiest, based, fundamental one. Until you start getting into, oh well, your character would know two thousand years worth of history, which of course you don't know any of. So, right. <laughs> But specifically for puzzles, I think is a really kind of distilled example of that separation of player and in character so how, how do you how do you deal with that separation
1: yeah so depending on the type of puzzle you're presenting your players that might uh, take a different kind of you know perspective so if there's a puzzle that involves you know some paintings on the wall that might have some kind of history or arcana or even nature type aspects you know if your players are proficient in that you can just give them some information for free you know maybe you don't even have to make them roll since you know as you said the characters might know something that the players do not so you don't need to you know make the players work for their characters knowledge necessarily that's you know that can be Mm -hmm. frustrating sometimes so if the puzzle does involve that kind of knowledge that the character might have you can certainly you know provide them those hints maybe even in a private message so that they receive the information and it's not just you know for the whole party to necessarily benefit from if it's just one character Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's probably a
0: good way of kind of mitigating the meta meta game there yeah. of, <laughs> of the players knowing knowledge when it is the players trying to solve it in a funny way so i think you mentioned one there about picture frames mm-hmm. and i remembered that the one of the newer books of tasha's cauldron of everything has a whole bunch of puzzles yeah i think the last chapter is dedicated to puzzles and one, one of the ones i looked at today funnily enough was i think the example is there's a bunch of portraits and there's a number of creatures in them, and it's count how many creatures there are, and you can kind of build a, a word up. There's like yeah. a, a keyword to get past a locked door or something like that. So,
1: have you read through those? Uh, do you, have you used any of those? Yeah, I made sure to read through those puzzles before we talked today. So, um, that's yeah, that's an example of what I would call kind of an escape room type puzzle where you know mm-hmm. you're trying to piece some clues together. There's you know some concrete steps you have to take. I believe that's like the first puzzle they have listed there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's listed as an easy puzzle, which a lot of people have commented on that it's actually not very easy at all. If you no. if you take a look at it, basically you have to count the number of you know creatures in that painting, and then like if there's two creatures, then you take the name of that creature, and then you take the second letter of their name, and then all those letters at the end you you jumble together to find another word and. It's just a lot of different steps that you have to take that can be really confusing and it can kind of feel arbitrary, like why am I doing it this way instead of that way? And mm-hmm. there's not really a good answer. So I think some of the puzzles in Tasha's cauldron are definitely, you know, pretty good, but a lot of them are not necessarily great. So I think what I would definitely say is no matter where you find your puzzles, you know, there's a lot of products on the DMs Guild or a lot of people on YouTube with puzzles that they do. It's important to try and find the good puzzles so that your players aren't, you know, confused or frustrated. And you could always test your puzzles on your friends or family. You know, you don't need Mm -hmm. to play D&D to be able to, you know, solve a simple puzzle like that. So maybe if you're not sure which ones are good or not, you can try and, you know, test it on some willing helpers, so to speak. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would say... You know, puzzles are, they've kind of been neglected by Wizards of the Coast almost. You know, obviously they have them in Tasha's, but as you said, it's kind of tucked away at the back there, and they're they are not quite as robust as I would like them to be. And when I make my yeah. own puzzles, I guess, you know, in obviously my personal humble opinion, those are somewhat or, you know, a lot better than what uh, Wizards has put out, which seems... Like you know, it should be the other way around, where you know they're the experts. They should be able to have all the resources to do these things. But you know, sometimes third parties can do things better than you know even Wizards of the Coast. So a lot of different uh, a lot of different products out there you can look for. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things there that I wanna touch on yeah after the release
0: of tashes i do remember seeing a post on reddit that was like has anyone looked at these puzzles Hmm. because they're actually well hard (laughs) like i think there's that one and there's a couple of others which are quote-unquote easy and and even that one there about the um i think the answer to that one with the paintings and the animals and the counting is owl bear so for example Mm -hmm. the first painting is uh you know it's got two goblins in it two g-o-o the letter o and i i consider myself of you know medium intellectum I'm Mm -hmm. educated and when I was reading that I was like man there's a number that's a couple of leaps of logic you gotta yeah you gotta six it's like four or five leaps of logic to be like get all the way and then you might get all these letters and still be like well they'll it's just gobbledygook yeah like (laughs) I guess we have to maybe we rearrange them into something and you know in that example it's owlbear you might have players that don't even know that owlbear is a thing that exists in in the game and essentially at that point you just have to tell them the answer. (laughs) because they're never it's impossible for them to get Uh, unless you know you get you get the monster manual out and say the answer is in here somewhere Mm. come come back to me after you've read all 300 pages (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i think um you made a really good point there about the number of steps so you know you always talk about action economy in combat where you know the more actions or you know attacks the enemy can do the more dangerous it is well in a puzzle the more steps they have to take the harder it's going to be and What's really difficult about the Tasha's Collagen example that we've talking that we've been talking about is that you can't even tell whether you're making progress towards the answer because you know the answer is just this kind of arbitrary word, and if you're halfway through, you have no idea if what you've been doing is you know the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Maybe you've been you know doing something else with the words or the letters or something like that, and you and you would have no way of knowing whether or not you're right. So. Yeah, those escape room puzzles can be kind of a double-edged sword. So definitely try and reduce the number of steps. And definitely it's the puzzles are always a lot more difficult for the players than you as the DM would anticipate. Yeah. Since obviously you have all the answers, you know what they have to do. So definitely try and make it easier rather than harder to start, you know, especially if you're not Mm -hmm. sure how good your players are at solving puzzles. And again, maybe you can test it out just to see, hey, is this something you would be able to solve? Or do I have to, you know, reduce the steps, make it more clear, maybe add some more hints or give them more information if they need it, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that thought process of it is so hard as a DM to separate what you know to what the players may or may not know. A doubly so for pu- for puzzles so looking at the solution you go oh that's a piece of cake mm-hmm. they'll they'll get this in, in like two seconds but then it's so hard to put yourself in in the shoes of, of the players and their characters you know four five six players and characters mix of world views mix of fatigue like yeah there's no way they're going to be on it you know in, in an ideal situation it's always one of those cases where it's like how much how hard is it? Half it. And then you're probably in the right <laughs> ballpark. <laughs> like yeah. always just rule, rule of thumb. Just half it. Um
1: you mentioned there what you called escape room puzzles. Mm-hmm. Can you define that for us? Yeah, so as I said, I think it comes down to a number of different steps that the players have to take. So, you know, for example, with the with the puzzle we've been talking about, the first step is they have to count the number of creatures in the paintings. The second step is that they have to, you know, figure out that you know, the letter is the number of characters in or the number, mm-hmm. yeah, the number of creatures in. So, you know, goblins, there's two goblins, so that we're going with the second letter, the O. And then, you know, the third step is they have to take all those letters and they have to rearrange it to make another word that says owlbear. And then they have their solution. So basically, it's just, you can list it as a number of steps they have to do and the different kind of leaps they have to take. Yeah, so that's how I would define escape rooms.
0: Oh, okay, so there's, there's some. Like If you're at like three or four steps, that's when it's becoming a find the key to put in over here to unlock the dictaphone to (laughs) to align the star map kind of level of puzzle solving, which I think can lead to a fatigue in players, especially like you said, when they're unsure if they're making any progress. I know that would frustrate the heck out of me to be like, Mm oh, can we just get past this puzzle Mm -hmm. already? Like, I don't care anymore. Like, it's just... Okay, so now we've got the letters. Now what? Pfft.
1: Yeah, and you don't know what. And that's the issue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a tricky thing to, to balance. And again, the, the, harking back to what I was talking about earlier on, you can't really adjust that on the fly. The password is the password is the password, right? You can't. Yeah. There's There's X number of characters in the password you've chosen. You, you can't suddenly change the password on the fly and just say, actually ignore those three other paintings yeah. over there. They're actually not important anymore
1: uh, without completely <laughs> shattering the illusion. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you can in, like you can in combat. I mean, yeah, I guess one thing uh, you could do is if, if your players somehow use the letters in some other way and, you know, miraculously come up with some other kind of creature, maybe you could just give it to them mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, well, you're actually supposed to do it this other way and find this other creature, yeah. so. Yeah, you mentioned there before about like how robust a puzzle is
0: so Hmm. how would you define the robustness and i think you were saying that basically like a couple of the ones that you've designed are probably more robust I i come from a technical background so i've used that term in terms of like you know how robust a piece of software is for example is that broadly the same definition in this context
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess you can think of it the same way. So, you know, in software, we like to think about, you know, how is the user going to use this? What happens if they do, you know, these weird things or, you know, these edge case types of things. So Mm -hmm. in the owlbear puzzle, there's a lot of ways that the players can go wrong. (laughs) There's a lot of different things that they can do that will not lead to the right solution. So those are not generally the puzzles that I like to run. So the puzzles I like to run, I I call them interactive puzzles. That's just kind of my term. So the Sudoku example that you gave is a pretty good example of that where you're not trying to trick the players, right? You can look up the rules of Sudoku, you know, they want you to know what the rules are. And that's actually part of the puzzle is you have the rules. And that's that's part of what you have. It's not you know, you're not trying to be tricked. And you can reuse the yes. different formats of the puzzles so even though you've solved a sudoku before that doesn't, you know, necessarily mean you're going to have an easier time with the next one whereas mm-hmm. if you had a second Owlbear puzzle it's, you know, it'd be a piece of cake to try and just figure out okay what are the letters what position is <laughs> it okay what's the creature we're done it's like, you know, 50,000 times easier the second time around so yeah. i think yeah with interactive puzzles it's a lot more interesting and fun and a lot less confusing since they can actually see some progress you know when you're solving a Sudoku, you can see, okay, you know, I filled in all these squares and everything, you know, is, you know, part of the rules. Everything's good. So I know I'm making progress. So mm-hmm. I guess as a DD example of that type of puzzle, one, one puzzle that I came up with is, you know, there's a grid of squares. So like a three by three grid and the squares have different colors. So, you know, all the colors of the rainbow. And I think I added like brown and pink and there's a bunch of different hints. So like, Red is above green and, you know, blue is to the left of purple. And they have to use all that information to try and piece together what it is. And even if you've solved one before, the other ones are just as difficult since it's a brand new puzzle. Mm -hmm. But you're able to reuse the format. You're able to, you know, obviously use your techniques to try and, you know, help you with the next one. And you can see your progress so it's Mm -hmm, you know you mm -hmm. can see that okay i'm starting to build up what it is i'm starting to you know piece it together maybe there's a couple you're not sure of but you know you can see yourself making progress so that's an example of what i would consider you know a much better DD puzzle than just kind of stumbling in the dark and trying to figure out that owlbear is somehow the correct solution since when i was reading some of tosh's puzzles You know, if you're skimming through it and you just look at the answer at the end, you're like, I have no idea, even as a DM looking at Tasha's Cauldron, I have no idea how they arrived at this answer. And if you don't know, then the the players certainly are not going to know since, you know, there's all these little things that they you know, just didn't pick up on that you would need to. So I think, uh, yeah, it's better to try and have more interactive puzzles. And those are harder to come up with, which mm-hmm. is why, you know, modules like Tasha's will have the escape room since it's it's pretty easy for, you know, almost anyone to just think of, a, you know, an escape room. Like, okay, what are, what are these steps? They have to do this, this, and this. But, you know, it's a lot harder to try and think of the other puzzles. But I think that's the challenge. And that's, you know, what makes good puzzle design. Yep, that was it exceptionally
0: eloquently put uh, and uh, as you were talking i was thinking around pul- puzzles in in video games uh, yeah. because you mentioned there like like sudoku is a classic example of there are there are rules mm-hmm. uh, constraints is probably the more technical term and those constraints are concrete and they never change but just because they never change doesn't as you said doesn't mean you can bulldoze every other puzzle of that variety yeah working within the constraints is the tricky thing that's that's the bit That makes it fun and interesting. And that was me thinking then, like, video games, all the best puzzles in video games, for obvious reasons, all have those constraints. So the first one I was thinking of is um, in a Legend of Zelda game, probably more than one. But uh, in uh, I think Ocarina of Time, there's like ice blocks, and you have Mm -hmm. to once you've started pushing the block, it doesn't stop until it hits another object. Yeah. So trying to move it around the room, you know, I have to push it up and then left, and then push the other one down to you know so that one can move to the right uninhibited. That's all constrained. Like you push a block, action. The result is it keeps moving until it hits an object. That's it. It's like one one constraint. But you could have ten of those rooms Mm -hmm. in a row, and they would each be different and you wouldn't be able to bulldoze any of them and if you think about some of the most popular like the witness as a very popular puzzle video game the whole premise is here's how the constraint works on this puzzle and then they Mm -hmm. just add in other elements to more variables but still within these constraints uh and that's really i think what you said like if you cut it like interactive versus escape room yeah now you've educated me it's so Crystal clear, like on, honestly, before this call, I was like, puzzles are puzzles are puzzles. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of sucky because my experience is limited and single point of failure, and blah blah blah. But now you've explained it in the way you have very much like they're almost two different entities. It's just doing them a disservice to bundle them under the one moniker, yeah. And describing them as you know, you're saying it's a bit, bit harder to design, right? A, an interactive puzzle. I think the reason that is, is because you're essentially designing a a game, Hmm. a game within a game. It might be a a very, very, like checkers, like, you know, exceptionally simple game, but there are still constraints (laughs) that you have to make sure you have to test. You have to make sure that they can't be abused. You have to make sure that, you know, they don't fall over. It's, there's actually quite a lot of parallels there to software engineering. I'm quite happy to have brought us background in that loop (laughs) with that metaphor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Video games definitely were a big influence on me too. And yeah, it's funny how you mentioned uh, the ice block puzzle since yep. uh, one of the games I played was Star Fox and they have a similar kind of, it's not ice, mm-hmm. but like a stone block puzzle that is very, very similar. And I actually made a few puzzles based on that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny to hear you mention that. So yeah, I think that's definitely true. So yeah, the difference is with escape rooms, you're trying to figure out the rules. Mm-hmm. Whereas with interactive puzzles, as we said, you're given you're given the rules or the constraints. So yeah, that's definitely the main difference. And I think you would definitely agree that, you know, you're not frustrated when you're solving those those ice puzzles since even if you mess up, you're like, "Okay, well now I know it's not this. Now I can try this other yes. thing." Whereas if you, you know, you don't you don't know if you even messed up until you get to the end with an escape room. So mm-hmm. yeah, taking from video games is definitely a good way to go and a good source of inspiration, you know, but again, try and find, you know, the better puzzles. So yeah, I, you know, yeah, it was funny to hear you mention that. So yeah, video games have definitely been a big influence and, and definitely a good place to try and find inspiration if you want to make some puzzles.
0: Yeah, I, I think a, a, a quote unquote sliding block puzzle is probably in like a million different video games, yeah. to be honest, but yeah, for, for, the, for, <laughs> the, for a reason, right? Like, <laughs> like they work, but exactly like you said there, one point I really wanted to pick up on was that even if you fail, like you push mm-hmm. a block and it falls down the bottomless pit and the puzzle yeah. resets, that still provided you, the player with data. Mm -hmm. although you've failed you've got new information to then color the rest of your decision making which is the whole point of you know there's always you're making progression you always know that even if you fail okay well now i know that that combination of elements doesn't work ah but that means that it might work over here because there's this other variable that you know that's but i can i don't even want to begin to think about how to start designing one of those (laughs) because it sounds well odd.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so it yeah it, it is useful for the players to have that information and again i think that makes it a lot less frustrating for them to to have that information and to see that progress since you know we always want to think that you know our efforts are leading towards our eventual goal so yeah mm-hmm. i think i think those types of puzzles are definitely what you aim for but you know i think if you sat down and you tried to make one you might be surprised you know how easy it is mm-hmm. so i think that could be you know a fun exercise if you're curious about your ability to make puzzles since I think coming up with the actual format is actually more difficult than the actual puzzle itself since as you said once you know once you have the game it's kind of easier to make the specific instance of it if that makes Mm -hmm. sense
0: yes yeah once you've got the constraints you can kind of spiral out you can extrapolate from there a number of different examples yeah it's probably a case of like we were saying earlier on the, the difficulty of a puzzle halve it I'm probably overestimating the complexity of the constraints, whereas in reality, there probably does only need to be one or two for it to be a very rewarding and engaging puzzle.
1: Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be overly complicated since you want them to understand the rules. And, you know, presumably this is, you know, the first time that they're going to encounter it. So you want them to be able to kind of look at it and somewhat intuitively understand what's going on so Mm -hmm. you know maybe they don't understand everything and but once they see the blocks they're like okay well maybe we're supposed to push them or move them and then they're like okay well that just sunk into the wall i guess you know we're supposed to try and put them in some specific place and then they get more and more information but yeah you definitely you know don't need to make it super complicated but yeah so because yeah you want them to understand you know what the rules are since we're not trying to trick them so yeah
0: yeah, precisely, and that's the problem with escape room ones is that they—it's very easy to feel like you're being tricked because you're just stumbling in the dark until yeah. you maybe the door you hear the door unlock, whereas with the interactive puzzles, as you've put them, because the constraints are all transparent and up front, and this is what I wanted to say earlier on is that if they do fail, they—it's a bit like Dark Souls, right? If you if you mess up, it's only it's your own fault. So mm-hmm. there's no, you don't be like, ah, oh, well, the game was cheating or anything. It's like, no, I made a stupid error. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's me to blame. So it's a lot, there's less boogeyman behind the screen pulling the strings. It's like, nope, th- there you go. <laughs> th- there are the pieces on the board. Solve it, essentially. And there's no, you know, you've got all the bits you need to do it. You just need to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. So yeah, with the owlbear puzzle, you could be like, oh, and now I have to do another step. Like I'm not and I'm not even done yet. You know, I figured this out, but it's still not an answer. I have to keep trying to figure out what they meant. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that puzzle you mentioned there about, you know, your three by three grid with the different colors. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? like what is the solution or should I try and be working it out as we, as we talk?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So the way that puzzle works is, um, yeah, as I said, there's a three by three grid and there's a bunch of just random tiles on the table. And the objective is to put them in the right positions on the grid. So um, when there's nine, you know, nine uh, tiles there, usually seven Mm -hmm. or eight clues is what I found a good spot. So, um, you know, the red one is above the green one, or, you know, the brown one is to the left of the purple one, mm-hmm. or, you know, these two tiles are on opposite corners is one thing I've done. And from that information, they start to piece together what, you know, what the, what the solution looks like. So, they mm-hmm. start putting the green one next to the red one, and then they start putting, you know, this one above the other one. And then, obviously, the, the information has to combine in some way so that they can, they can get the full picture. Um, so, yeah, so that's how that puzzle works.
0: Yes, I, I it took me a while, but I got I understood what you mean that like, there are certain rules that say the blue has to be next to the red, but it can't be next to the green. And then trying to squeeze them in into this limited spaces, the, the the precise combination of tiles is the the puzzle, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're basically trying to piece together all the all the separate information and combine it so that you uh, you know, figure out the actual solution in the end.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a uh, kind of reminds me of I mean again, probably many uh forms of this, but um the one that's most recent in memory is in Resident Evil Two there's like chess pieces, plugs that mm-hmm. have got chess pieces on them. And there's you know, the pawn has to go next to the knight, but the knight is opposite the bishop, but the bishop can't be next to the queen and putting the plugs in the right order on the wall is the puzzle there. And uh I imagine it's, it's a similar kind of thought process to, to what you've just described.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds pretty similar.
0: So um, in your career of designing puzzles, what's your own favorite one then? Your personal favorite? I guess it doesn't have to be your own. It can be another one you've seen but what would you define as your most favorite puzzle
1: yeah that's a good question um it might be hard to describe on an audio but we can try anyway so uh basically one puzzle i came up with i don't even i don't even remember how i how i thought of this initially but <laughs> basically there are a bunch of rotating platforms and the platforms have you know some might be like a t intersection some might be like a uh, you know cross some might just be like a straight uh you know, platform. And, you know, there's like a three by three grid or maybe like a two by three, if you want an easier one. And there's a lever that will rotate each row. And so, you know, the, the pieces will, will rotate, you know, different ways. And then eventually Mm -hmm. you're trying to find the path across. So, yeah. And, um, you know, depending on the complexity, sometimes I make the middle one, you know, just static to give them a bit of information and a bit of an anchor to go Mm -hmm. off of. And, you know, I think it's it's good to kind of work backwards and say, okay, you know, this is, you know, what the last one has to be since, you know, it might just be one position that it can be in to get to the mm-hmm. end, and then you can you can try and work backwards. So um, that's, that's one uh, fun puzzle I came up with. Another one, I guess, if you want another example, is that um, there's a bunch of different bridges that the players are trying to cross, but some are safe bridges and some are not. And Mm -hmm. in order to figure out whether or not the bridge is safe or not, they have to just unscramble, you know, an anagram. So nothing too crazy, but just, you know, a simple task to try and figure out whether the bridge is safe or not. If they want, they can test it. If they're frustrated by a certain word or they can try and, you know, check the other pass to have some Mm -hmm. process of elimination, but, you know, eventually they're able to piece together which ones are safe and which ones are not. So, you know, those are a couple of different examples. And, you know, again, I think the key is you can reuse it and, you can build upon it. So um, yeah, you mentioned that before and that's another advantage of having more interactive puzzles where if you build upon the complexity, you can have a lot more interesting puzzles and a lot more interesting things going on than if you're just trying to have, you know, escape room after escape room where you have to make it simple or else they're not going to be able to solve it.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good benefit there. For For that anagram bridge example, what do the anagrams resolve to? To tell, the, to tell the players whether they're right or wrong, essentially, correct, yeah. or they're safe or unsafe.
1: Yeah, so I just made them pretty simple words. So maybe like water or, you know, climb. So probably just, mm-hmm. you know, five letters, nothing too crazy since there's a lot of bridges. So we want to make each individual anagram pretty easy to solve, you know. If I were playtesting, I might even try, you know, four letter anagrams just to mm. just to see. But, you know, it's not like D&D knowledge type words where, you know, there mm-hmm. has to be a certain type of knowledge, although you could make it that if you wanted. But I just had, uh you know, just kind of normal words. Mm-hmm. How do
0: the players know which, is, which bridge is safe for or not in that case then?
1: Yeah. So what well, each bridge has a word associated with it that they come across when they approach it and... Once they solve the anagram, they are told whether or not the bridge is safe.
0: Oh, okay. So the anagram is just a key, essentially, and then they have the answer is is given to them, safe or yes or no. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> in my in my foolish head, I, mm-hmm. I thought the <laughs> the resolution of the anagram would be like safe and then i was just like man there's like, there's only so oh. <laughs> many synonyms of like safe you're like you know passable or crossable or <laughs> right. that you can that you can have before it becomes uh like trivial uh and like da- dangerous uh break mm. not say like there's like a failure so there's only so many uh yeah you can synonyms before you've exhausted the the, the point so now that makes a lot more sense <laughs> that's yeah. the one that you yeah. suggested okay okay yeah, so they they're good, they're great examples and thank you very much for sharing them. Um I just again I'm I'm feeling a bit bummed out now that I haven't even thought about including any of this stuff. I think another another part for me is and it'd be very interesting to get your take on this is mm-hmm. I am a huge fan and those that listen will know of having everything makes sense. Everything has its place in the world, even in dungeons. I like them to make sense. Uh, they're not just like a string of you know arbitrary rooms underground for some reason. Because digging underground is like hella mm. labor intensive <laughs> and expensive, so they'd be very uh, efficient with their methods. And so, a Cobalt dungeon I run, every room had a had a purpose: sleeping room, eating room, the farm, the the reservoir. Like the, there's there wasn't any kind of just here's just a room for some mm. reason that doesn't have anything in it. So trying to fit decent enough puzzles in, and it still makes sense in-universe is quite tricky, but I guess that's another kind of way you can flavor the universe. So I guess Cobalt Dungeons wouldn't have puzzles because they're crafty, but they're not intelligent enough to put together anagrams, I would say. Um, but then, you know, how, would you, how do you go about fitting in these, you know, in-universe in, in a way that makes sense?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple things you can do. So if we go back to the ice block example, you know, that doesn't Mm -hmm. just have to be a room. You can make a miniature version of it and then maybe put it on the side of a treasure chest or, you know, even on, you know, stick it on a door or something. And then if you're in some rich person's house, it's not so crazy that they would use that as a kind of a combination password type Mm. thing to protect whatever they want to protect. So, you know, it doesn't just have to be, you know, one big room. That's a puzzle. Another thing you can do is you can try and, you know, think about, obviously, like you said, who is living here. So whether it's kobolds or goblins, they would have, you know, different kinds of protections rather than a wizard. So maybe in a wizard's tower, you would have more of these types of puzzles where, you know, maybe they're trying to, you know, slow down whoever is trying to infiltrate their area. Or, you know, if you go back to the bridges, maybe, you know, they know the combination of the bridges and, you know, the words are kind of a backup in case they forget, but, you know, that's kind of a, a different type of password that they can use to protect, you know, their their wizard's lair or, you know, what have you. So, you can try and think about, you know, who might create this puzzle, who would use it, why would they use it? But, you know, I guess going back to the metagaming, to, to some extent, it is kind of ridiculous to have a whole room act as, you know, a <laughs> password. So, yeah. To some extent you can't always find a perfect match between what makes sense and having a fun puzzle for the players to solve. And personally, I think that's okay since, you know, in the end it's it's still, you know, a role playing game. So nothing has to be, you know, perfect. We're not trying to, you know, make a historical reenactment or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So but you can certainly try and match it as best you can to try and make it fit well. Yeah.
0: I mean the the speed and quality of your answer there I think speaks volumes in that like what like on the door you said of like a, a you mm. know a, a noble's bedroom or something is I was like oh yeah that's great I love that implementation of a puzzle because it makes so much sense again it's like you know keeping the key under the the doormat right even if they forget yeah. their combination they could still work it out to get in so I, I do really love that and even for the um the wizard example you gave of trying to slow the players down if I imagine how funny and, and cool it would be as if they, they kind of chased him into that room, but hmm. by the time they get there, he's already on the other side and he's just yeah. like waving, menacingly, kind of goading them into crossing these bridges. Of course, he's taken the safest route across. Yeah. He's just darted left, right, left, right, right, left, straight away across. And of course, now the player's are like, oh, hang on, why is there five bridges in front of me? Right, <laughs> uh, And then they that's exactly like slowing them down. And then you can tie that into... A wider chase piece of you know how quickly do they solve it is how much of you know the wizard is maybe doing like um scorched earth you know he's just trying to burn all this documentation and stuff so he's yeah. not <laughs> you know he's not you know he can't be uh, held accountable for any of it so if they if they suck and take forever to pass it by the time they get to his inner sanctum he's like oh there's nothing here for you to uh to find what are you trying to own while you're here necromancy <laughs> nah nothing here yeah. None of that here. Jeff finds something. <laughs> right. But if they ace all the puzzles, he's like halfway in setting it fire and there's like corpses lying around still and they're like, ah, we got you. Ah. Good. Thank yeah. you for that inspiration. I was just sorry, you you, you just listened to me like mm-hmm. world build on the fly there, but um only because I love the 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 answer you gave.
1: Yeah, I think both our our minds are, you know, grinding into action as we're talking about this. So <laughs> Yeah, even even the color tiles would be another good example of something Mm. you can stick on a door or a treasure chest and have it, you know, Mm -hmm. make sense. You know, it's like a password, but there's a backup in case they forget. So, and maybe with the ice blocks, if they have, you know, if they succeed on the first attempt without having any of the, you know, blocks fall off and have to be reset, you know, that's obviously a very good outcome. Whereas if they have to do it a couple times, maybe it's not quite as good of an outcome. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as you said, maybe the wizard has more time to do whatever he needs to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's definitely interesting and something I hadn't necessarily thought about, but would certainly be fun to, you know, incorporate as part of the elements of puzzle solving, Mm. having those stakes.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm always a fan of having something, you know, a resource being expended. And Mm -hmm. typically that's time when dungeon delving for whatever reason. And also another way you could frame it and, and try and bring in puzzles in a way that makes sense is obviously everything we've spoken about up till now has been... I'll say, for sake of argument, a human designed or in, designed by an intelligence, shall we say, for the purpose mm-hmm. of being a lock or you know, explicitly to slow people down. But theoretically, there's nothing to stop you having a natural puzzle. So instead of, you know, you could have ice blocks, but there's no pits for them to fall down because you can't repopulate them when they fall. But you could have the players manually reset it, I suppose. You could just have like a, you know, an, you could have a, a room. You're going, you're an ice dragon. Lair or whatnot, and there just happens to be a room with a high ledge on, because the dragon doesn't care for ledges. You can just fly and climb and whatnot, but the players can't. But hey, there happens to be a bunch of blocks that have fallen from the ceiling. How do you get them from A to B? So you could have it as a as a natural, but still, still a what did you call it? um An interactive puzzle, yeah. But one that's happened quote unquote naturally, which you probably have to think a little bit harder about how to how to make it make sense in the universe. But I would imagine there's absolutely uh, niche cases, use cases for that.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I think another thing you can do is you can kind of uh, use the interactive puzzle constraints or rules as kind of an abstraction or a representation of the players trying to figure out a natural puzzle. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not a human that necessarily, or, you know, an intelligent creature that necessarily made all the different colored tiles in a three by three grid, but maybe there's some, you know, just natural stone blocks and mm-hmm. you see, okay, this stone block has, you know, it's like a, it's like an actual puzzle where this stone block fits in next to this one, but you don't necessarily know where it fits in on the, you know, larger grid, mm-hmm. but you're trying to place them, place them on the grid regardless. So you can kind of use it as an abstraction, even if it's, you know, might not necessarily make a hundred percent sense, you know, a hundred percent, you know, make sense in the natural world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, great. Thanks. Thanks for like just blasting through some world building then. That was very, that was very enjoyable. Um, to bring us back onto some more kind of technical questions, I suppose there is a school of thought. I know we've just done a whole lot of good work talking about, you know, intelligent puzzles that are interactive and this, that, and the other, but there is a school of thought that suggests that DMs can create puzzles without a solution. Mm -hmm. They just kind of expect the, you know the first good idea the players have the dm gives it to them or maybe the second good idea the players have that happens to be the solution how do you how do you feel about those kind of puzzles
1: yeah it's definitely a different kind of dm style it's almost like if you're if you're planning for a plot where you you'd say okay the players can do xyz to you know move the plot forward or if you were to just make a random situation and see where the players might take it naturally. So mm-hmm. I think when you talk about the puzzle you just did where, you know, you have a situation and you see what the puzzle what the players can come up with, that's kind of a different, you know, form of an escape room where, you know, there's these different steps they have to take. You know, there's not going to be as many concrete and, you know, hard and fast mm-hmm. rules or constraints that you would have with an interactive puzzle since That would take a lot more planning and that would require you to come up with an actual solution and make sure it has a solution. So I think there are certainly benefits to having a more open puzzle where the players can obviously be creative and, you know, whatever they can come up with is what works. So it's certainly not as frustrating in terms of, you know, trying to find the one thing that the DM had thought of. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if there's not a solution, what's to guarantee that the players can find a solution or think of something cool that might work? So, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a double-edged sword. There is risk. With an interactive puzzle, you you know there's a solution. You know that the players have good information to try and come up with it. But it's not quite as creative. It might not be, you know, as... Creatively interesting for the players to solve. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you could try both, see what your players like, change it up, that kind of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking then that I guess the best, as with most things in life, is probably a mix within the two, just to keep the players on their toes. Sometimes, you know, to avoid metagaming, sometimes you'll have a puzzle that is just like relatively simple, but I don't have an answer. I'll just let them think about it. But then the next one is very uh, mechanical shall we say, you know, has, has the constraints and then that keeps, you know, it's, it's just variation at the end of the day, which is obviously always fun and, and enjoyable to have a, you know, oh, has was this one got constraints or is this one, you know, mm. create a creative solution, uh, which is exercising different parts of their brains, essentially, you know, imagination versus problem solving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just like you can have different types of combat encounters and it's good to change things up there. Yeah. It's also good to change things up with your puzzles.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I did ask one of my friends about that before recording around puzzles without an answer, we'll call them. And he alluded it to maybe it's a bit like fudging dice and people that listen to the show will know that I'm not a huge fan of doing that. But I think you mentioned it earlier on with like it's just that the DM just picks whether it's right or wrong, <laughs> which again yeah. kind of rubs me up a little bit the wrong way. I guess, in, I hate to say it because it's such a cliche, but in in moderation.
1: Yeah, yeah, in moderation you could do it. But it, yeah, it is a little bit of the DM kind of deciding whether or not they feel mm. like the players have tried hard enough where they can just have earned the answer, so yeah, there, there might be some value, but as I said, those certainly aren't the puzzles that I tend to design or run, but I guess that's just my preference. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the main thing is whatever works for your players, whatever they enjoy. So, you know, I don't enjoy riddles very much since they're very arbitrary and kind mm-hmm. of need to read your mind type of puzzles, but a lot of people like riddles, so you can use those for example. So, I think just trying to find what your players enjoy, you can still mix things up, but trying to find what your players enjoy, you know, as a lot of things with D&D are, is, you know, a good way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Very sage advice there. I guess broadly then, after this discussion, we've kind of split them into what, two and a half or maybe three mm. types of puzzles. You've got escape room, interactive design, and then DM Fiat, mm-hmm. creative, creative <laughs> solutions, perhaps is the more yeah. uh, favourable term to use. And I guess a mix of those three in you know varying different volumes is probably, as, as, again, matching what your player's find most enjoyable is probably the best way to go when trying to incorporate puzzles into your campaign.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, trying to find a good mix of, of all of them could be good. And um, yeah, riddles are another type of puzzle you could obviously throw in if your mm-hmm. players enjoy. So there's another one we can add to the list, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I quite like, I quite, I'm a, you know, a very procedural person, so I kind of quite like compartmentalizing these yeah. kinds. And then it's quite nice to pick. Okay, I'm going to take one from that block and one from that section and put them together together you know, one after the other to keep them on their toes. I quite like that. And then also it helps you maintain that mix. So, you know, I've used two interactive. Now I might sprinkle in an escape room in the middle there, you know, within Mm -hmm. reason, of course, Um, a well-designed escape room, of course, just to keep it interactive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you can even take it a step further with your interactive puzzles and you can say, this is a math type puzzle. This is a word puzzle. This is Mm -hmm. a you know, spatial awareness puzzle. So yeah, I'm, you know, I take that, you know, even, even further. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um. One thing I wanted to talk about before we finished again, we, we touched on it briefly earlier on, but I wanted to go a bit more into detail now is, I think I did ask you at the time, that gap between player and PC knowledge uh, mm. and, and the, the frustration it can bring. And we, we talked about, you know, ways to mitigate, oh, the barbarian solves it. Okay, there's, there's, ways you can get around that creatively but uh maybe this is a bit more of a like a psychological question rather than a, <laughs> a mechanical question mm. but say you have an intelligent player and I'd, i've been in this situation before excuse me an intelligent player character i haven't been <laughs> i almost said i'm i'm a very intelligent player <laughs> no uh, an intelligent player character and maybe their player isn't super intelligent so my my wizard that i play is you know like intelligence 20 you know plus six I think you know, 22 i think plus six mm-hmm. intelligence but obviously i'm not a career professional academic of arts mm-hmm. so i guess my question is to you how do you bridge that gap without dice rolls i suppose is, is the, really the, the question i'm asking
1: yeah yeah that's certainly an interesting challenge i think it is a bit easier if you use interactive puzzles to try and mm-hmm. bridge that gap between you know, the character strengths and the player strengths. So, you know, if you have an interactive puzzle, you can, you know, give them maybe the start of it. You can say, okay, you know that this color tile is in this position. And again, you can send them that information in a direct message so that they feel like, you know, it's not just the whole party that gets mm-hmm. it, you know, kind of metagaming. It's, you know, them that th- that gets it. Yeah. Or you can say, you know that this ice block, the first thing you have to do is push it this way. And again, that's kind of an abstraction in terms of trying to, you know, model what their intelligence might be like, since mm. just because you're intelligent doesn't mean you automatically psychically know that somehow this one <laughs> piece fits in there, but it's just a way to help bridge the gap if you, you know, want to make sure that your intelligent characters can feel like they're contributing with the choices that they have that they have made. So, yeah, I guess you could also do it with your escape room puzzles. You can give them, you know, part of the steps or part of the information to help them along, too, mm-hmm. like that, but...
0: Yeah, I think as described in Tasha's the, the you know wizards have put a number of hints in, you know, with yeah. DCs and whatnot. I suppose if you're kind of combining those two trains of thought, you could just give one of the first hint for, for free to the, the high intelligence character, and that's already going to do half the work for them.
1: Yeah, and I think it actually says there that if they're proficient or if they if they meet the DC just with what their stat is, they don't they don't even have to roll. You can just give it to uh, them if, if you want. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. which I think is good to do since the dice can be finicky. Uh,
0: Yeah, and as we discussed earlier, lead to kind of awkward uh, situations sometimes. Um, Is there anything uh, you wanted to talk about that we might have missed?
1: Yeah, so I think the last uh, thing we can talk about is kind of physical puzzles or props that you can include with your puzzles. So I always like looking on Amazon and thinking, oh my gosh, that could be a puzzle that I can include. (laughs) So... Um, A good example of this, I have this labyrinth puzzle kind of cube thing. So it's by this French company called Inside, I believe. So basically there's a bunch of uh, different layers of a maze within this plastic cube and mm-hmm. you're trying to get this metal ball from, you know, the top layer to the bottom la- layer through the yep. maze, but you can't actually see inside. But there's there's maps, there's pictures of the different layers on the outside. So, you have to figure out, okay, where is the ball now? What, what way do I have to move it to, you know, get it to the from the top to the bottom? <laughs> and, you know, that could be an example of a puzzle. And having that physical prop is always fun for the players, always more interesting mm-hmm. – Another some other physical puzzles. You could even take a Rubik's cube and say, "All right, let's see if you can get you know seven red <laughs> you know squares on one side of the Rubik's cube." You know, even if they have never seen one before, they can try and yeah. you know work that out as an example. And you can adjust the difficulty based on how you feel your uh, players might do, it and maybe test it out to see how challenging it is. Um, there's a lot of different wooden block puzzles or metal ring puzzles you can buy. Those are kind of like escape rooms where you have to try and mm-hmm. you know know the solution before you can necessarily you know do it so that's you know might be a bit more challenging for some people there's also you know other types of puzzles so i i got a lock pick lock pick set and a practice lock on amazon mm-hmm. just as a puzzle for my D&D, uh players. so i thought okay if you want to try and pick this lock but you don't have proficiency Let's see how easy you find it without, you know, <laughs> being able to just have that innate knowledge. So mm-hmm. I think that's another fun thing you can do. So finding those props is definitely another good way to engage your players and keep it mm-hmm. fun.
0: I'm smiling because I, I literally have a Rubik's Cube downstairs yeah. that I bought explicitly for that purpose. Now, oh, wow. yeah. my players never got there. So mm-hmm. it was a very expensive waste of money because they're <laughs> not cheap like official ones, uh, <laughs> which is the only one I had available to me at the time to buy. Yeah. Um, for that exact purpose of being like, I am going to put an egg timer here, and you've got until it it finishes to to you know either do one side or one face or all the faces mm. or however however you wanted to do it. So, but I know that train of thought might get some flack from people who are like, no, because then that's just the players solving it and not their characters. Mm. And I guess that the, the argument that could be laid against that one, the uh, the ball, the metal ball maze, for example, is what's to stop a player saying. Well, my rogue has got loads of Dex or Wisdom or whatever. Can I roll Dex for them to essentially play it? Yeah. So if if, if you were put in that situation, and I don't mean to be mean or put you on the spot, but let's say hypothetically you have a player that's like that. What would you? How would you deal with that problem?
1: Yeah. So that's a that's a funny point you bring up. So the way I look at it is that's like if someone wants to say, "Oh, I have high intelligence. Why can't I just bypass this puzzle?" Or "I have high Dex. Why can't I just bypass this?" That's like saying. I have high strength, why can't I bypass this combat? Mm. And for me, I just say, why are we playing if you just want to bypass everything, you know? <laughs> we're, we're here to play the game, we're not here to roll dice to avoid playing the game. So, you know, if someone, wants, if someone is proficient in, you know, a stat that might help them, you know, we've talked about giving them hints or extra information, but, you know, for me, I think they should you know, have to have to do the puzzle. And if Mm -hmm. they don't like puzzles, then maybe you don't present puzzles to them very much. And that could be, you know, just what you do. But if they if you do present a puzzle, it just seems kind of defeatist to let them roll and just completely bypass it. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think that feels like a good thing to add a a session zero is to be like, how do you guys feel about physical, you know, puzzles that you at the table would have to solve. And I think that would quite quickly nip that in the bud to be like, I don't like that because it's, me and not my character versus oh no that sounds like so much fun please <laughs> yeah <laughs> please give me a rubik's cube
1: <laughs> yeah i mean some people like combat more than role play people like role play more than combat and some people mm. like puzzles and some people don't and part of being a good dm is figuring out what your players <laughs> like to be able to cater the game for them
0: and i can't think of a better sentence to end <laughs> the yeah. show on uh thank you so so much for this discussion it has been educational and fun which is the best kind of educational yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything you'd
1: like to plug at all yeah so all the things i'll mention here you can find links for on my twitter so at dm m-i-c-y-c-l-e so kind of a play on words there so if you liked what i had to say about puzzles um i'm thinking of doing a kickstarter at some point for either like a pdf or a physical book mm-hmm. not really sure yet with a bunch of interactive puzzles so you know um the puzzles i mentioned before and also some others that i've come up with so i, d- I don't know when this might get released but if you you know follow along on my twitter you know i'll definitely have updates As I mentioned, I released an app on the iOS App Store Game Masters Toolkit 5e, so it has a bunch of random generators for NPCs and cities and quests and villains and, you know, all those sorts of things, so much more. There's also a bunch of uh, library of sounds and music for your game, and also a library of puzzles, which are somewhat more simple since they're just all in text form, but Mm -hmm. still pretty good to include. And lastly, I also, as I mentioned, make various props like uh, d20 keychains, potions of healing. So you can find those links, you know, from my Etsy store and website again on my Twitter. So if you have thoughts about puzzles, I'd also like to hear, you know, what formats you like to run and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah, definitely try and hit me up on Twitter and we can talk about puzzles. But yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. It was definitely fun.
0: Uh, no worries. It was, it was yeah, uh, really, really fun. And I, I, as I said, when we started, like, I haven't run any puzzles to now I'm like super excited to run some puzzles. So I think that's, I'm super chaffed. I I just hope at least a couple of listeners are
1: as well. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully there's some, uh, you know, good puzzles that, you know, we gave you that you can, that you can run that's fun for your players and not confusing or anything. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So
0: thank you again. Uh, and everything that uh, Michael has said will be in the episode description as usual. I do encourage you to check out all of his stuff. Otherwise, find me on all of my socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and I'd love to hear about your experience with puzzles and any good or bad ones you might have encountered. Otherwise, thank you all for listening, and good night.